Chapter One The Kombucha I can see you drink the kombucha out of my fridge You know you have to pay for it Cause if you don't I'll roll my head back and punch your face It's hard enough that you ate all of the cake that I had there too What is a bitch supposed to do? Cause now I have no snacks And that fact is really whack I hope that you see yourself out I hope that you see yourself out Cause I don't know what this is about Leave me my money in the purse Hanging on the door I hope that you let yourself out I want to smack you in the mouth. He drank all your kombucha. He don't want no more. La, da, 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 da. Hi, this is Cake and Kombucha. Welcome. That was just a snippet from my album, Kombucha, which you can find on Tidal. It's was really inspired by a lot of things. Um mixed media, there's music videos to go along with every song, and it's about a time in my life where my um, boyfriend who passes out CDs on the corner of 125th and St. Nick, he um, he cheated on me, uh, so he's not famous and successful like Jay-Z, there was really no reason for me to take him back, but I wrote an album about it. It's an album of redemption, and I'm just kidding. That was in honor of Lemonade dropping on Spotify. So Beyonce has kept us thinking about her for a whole... I mean, we're always thinking about her, right? She's always with us. But, I mean, she really did that. Like, she was like, oh, you thought Homecoming was it? Bang. Here's some more stuff. Like, Coachella's ruined for everyone forever. She raised the bar so high. This is great. Anyway... Welcome. I'm your host, Kalechi Aza. I joke around a lot. This is a place where we talk about current events, politics, also just things that happen, like weird stuff. What do what, what I have for you today? Oh, yeah. A story about raw chicken. Let's get into that. So you know how you're living your life, doing things in a way that makes sense, having experiences, remembering them, moving on, doing new things. And then people come along and try to tell you that what you've been doing isn't what you have been doing or something. (sighs) Or that the sky is purple and up is down and left is right and things are all topsy-turvy. Well, that's what just happened to me. So there's this restaurant that I... I am not a seamless girl. Like, I cook a lot in New York. My oven is not full of shoes. Although, you know... Sorry, I just got lost imagining that I had Carrie Bradshaw's paycheck and her magical 90s New York life. Anyway, um, I order a good amount from this place called Chirping Chicken because where I live in Harlem is kind of a food desert for delivery in the sense that things close early. There's a lot of sit-down restaurants. There's a lot of places that don't deliver. And you do get on your little app or your smartphone at a certain time, and you see just, like, delis really that's it just delis so 
Chirping Chicken was a great discovery my friend Robin told me about. It's like a chicken, you know, they have rotisserie chickens, chicken breasts, grilled chicken. They also have hamburgers, ribs, whatever. Trying to put a little Swiss chalet in it, you know what I'm saying? But I guess it's like sort of Greek and that they have like Slovaki and pita-based ideas. I don't really know how the Greekness fits into everything, but they definitely have like Greek salad. So I usually get like Greek salad. They have this beet salad that's just chopped up beets and this delicious vinaigrette with red onion. Really good, right? So I'm feeling mama's getting, mama's premenstrual. I'm going to say that right. I'm going to say that right now. I didn't even use a, I didn't even use any effects on that right now. I am PMSing. I need some extra energy. And I just was like, let me get this wholesome ass protein veggie plate. Okay. So I ordered it because I wanted to be zhuzhed up and ready to go for you. And I bite into my chicken and it's raw. Mm-hmm. It's raw. And the gag is that it was also raw on Sunday, but I know, like, even though I'm that bitch, I'm not always that bitch. Like, I was like, I'm not going to say anything. Their food is usually so good. They had an off night, and I just, I didn't eat the second chicken breast because they do give you good portions. Now, this time, it was raw again, and I just felt like I couldn't do it because I'm very, like, psychosomatically inclined, like, I have now thought about the fact that the chicken is raw and that it's going to make me sick. So even the parts that are perfectly cooked fine are going to make me sick too. Like I, if I think it, my stomach will feel it. That's just the way I'm built. So I was like, I can't do this. Let me just call the restaurant directly. Cause you know, Seamless will always try to get you a cute little coupon. And I'm like, I don't want a freaking coupon. I want chicken. <clears throat> so I call uh, homegirl answers the phone. Let's call her Bernice. Um, I don't know why. That's the first thing that came to my mind. And I said, my chicken was raw in the middle. What? My chicken was raw in the middle. That's because you didn't ask for it to be well done. Ma'am? You have to ask for it to be well done. No. I said, no, I don't. No, I don't. No, you have to ask. No, babe, babe, chicken. I'm still thinking she didn't understand what I said. I said, I said, babe, it's chicken. It can't be, it can't be, there's, you don't take the temperature with chicken. It's chicken. It, it has to be cooked all the way through. No, that's, I'm just telling you what the managers told me. I'm just telling you what they told, told me to say. No, they didn't. Cause they wanted to have a restaurant that's still running. I'm see. I'm gesticulating and I just knock some stuff off my desk. Excuse me. I said, no, they didn't. Um, they didn't say that. I just felt like I was in, you know, a tesseract. I was in a wrinkle in time, y'all. I could not understand if she was telling me that my chicken, she said we cook our chicken medium well. I hope she didn't say medium rare. Medium well or medium rare, something like that. But at this point, the words aren't really registering because I'm also still hungry, y'all. So I was just like, um, no, no. Chicken carries salmonella. You have to cook it all the way through. Here, let me help you, person that works at a chicken restaurant with the word chicken in the title of the restaurant, understand how chicken works. I, I was just like, she was like, we can send you another one if you want and we can make sure it's well done. But I'm petty. So I was like, first of all, if I had to ask for the temperature, then why wouldn't both of them be the same temperature? One is cooked and one isn't. So you're just giving me an assortment platter. You're just giving me a salmonella array. You're just giving me a smorgasbord of disease. What is that? 
Okay, I didn't say all that, but I did say that one was done and one wasn't. I don't like inconsistency. If you are going to lie and make up stuff on the cuff, be precise, come correct. But also, why do you have to lie and make stuff up off the cuff at a job that you work that's a chicken restaurant? The answer is always going to be cook the chicken. That's, that's the answer. So I would just like to shout out, I live near, right next to City College. There's a lot of young people. I mean, I'm a young person relatively, but like really young people doing stuff like this. And I just want to say, if you're in the teens still, if you're in the early 20s, you're bringing Generation Z a bad name, okay? I am a millennial. People don't even want to, you know, identify as millennial because apparently we put Perkins out of business and we don't use top sheets, which is a damn lie. I don't understand anyone who lets their their knees scratch against their coverlet. Oh, disgusting. But you don't know how chicken is cooked and you work at a chicken restaurant? Really? Really, sis? I am embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. Everyone's embarrassed. And you know, oh, so I said, okay, just send me a new one. So she called me back. No, I think I said something smart like, okay, I mean, I'll take the new chicken, but I also feel like I need to call like 311 or something. If you're just insisting that serving raw chicken is the move and that's like what your policy is, someone needs to know. So I, I really just don't think that's correct. I swear to goodness, I've worked at restaurants before and you're just supposed to say yes to people. I'm sorry. Like the people get so invested. Are you a stakeholder? Why are you fighting this battle? Like, why are you, why do people take up for their restaurants like this? Like all the customer is going to do is write a bad <clears throat> Sorry. Oh, must be some raw chicken in my throat. All the customer is going to do is write a bad review online Mention your name if they're extra petty or, like, describe you. Like, the girl with the Pegasus-colored hair and the tattoo of a tiger on her face, she um, was there. I don't remember, like, her name, but she had a mole on her upper left shoulder. Yeah, she served us, and um, she spit in our hands and slicked back, you know, uh, like, I don't know. They're going to call you out because I've seen it. I don't do that. I only write positive Yelp reviews, really. If it's really bad, I'm just going to try to find a way to, like, sue you. Like, really bad to me is, like, if it was, like, I was discriminated against and it's, like, a civil rights violation. You're not going to hear about it on Yelp. You'll get served. I've never sued anyone. I'm just talking shit, you guys. Just like she was. Anyway, I just want to say, I don't get it. I don't respect the hustle. I, <clears throat> I always respect someone that's good at arguing. If you want to just have a fun argument with me. I'm here for sparring. I'm here for some verbal sparring, some gentle verbal nudging. But you got to make sense. Make it make sense, sis. Make it make sense. So I'm sitting here. If you hear the doorbell ring, they're going to send me another extra large, this time, Suvaki platter, which is this Greek salad they have that's really good. It's just like fresh lettuce, crisp lettuce, chicken breast, and a pita, like the kind of thin pitas that come from a bag. But if you grill them, they taste good. I don't know. I don't need any of it right now. And like I said, mentally, I'm kind of ruined for this. Okay, update. The new chicken came. It's so good. And the beautiful griddle marks let me see now that even the chicken that I thought was cooked through before, comparatively was not. So, I might have food poisoning. Chapter 3. The cake. Homecoming, homecoming, y'all. 
I finally watched the movie and I don't have any hair left on my head. My edges are gone. Wigs are snatched. I look like a, a new baby flamingo that just came out of the shell. I'm just a fuzzball, a kiwi. Like, oh my goodness. She is so much. There's, okay. There's being really talented on your own, right? But there's being a visionary and there's connecting. I'm talking about Beyonce if you're like crazy, okay? I'm talking about Beyonce's documentary film, Homecoming, which was, you get to see the entire concert of her Coachella performance last year, which she released at the same time as Coachella, just to be like, hey, you should still be thinking about me as you should always be thinking about me. Then she went ahead and put Lemonade on Spotify, whereas before it was only on Tidal, just to further cement that whole, hey, I know you were thinking about something else, but I'm the only thing you should be thinking about. And it was just so good. Oh my gosh. So I had my friend watch it with me who was like, I don't, I'm not really into Beyonce. I don't really know anything about her. And I'm like, how did you let that happen? So he was converted afterwards because it's amazing. Like there's nothing to not be impressed by. You would just have to be a corpse. Even if you were a corpse, you would reanimate yourself and get up and dance to I've been getting too much money. Everybody, man. Boo, 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 boo. It was, it's just so good. So as I interrupted myself to say, there's a difference between just being extremely talented yourself and being a visionary. But we got to got, get watch Beyonce give notes. Oh, I almost died. I just want to be in a soundstage with her and mess up something so she can yell at me. Like, I just want Beyonce to give me notes. She said, we are not capturing the beauty of the sound and and we're not catching that. We're not catching that view. So until, I mean, until, until these notes are applied, I don't think there's any point in me giving any more. We're almost there. And then Jay-Z just kind of gives us look like, okay, well, bye guys. <laughs> My wife just cussed you all the fuck out. See you later. Like it is so fun watching him just kind of take back seat and like let his wife do her thing. And she just, people, you try to sleep on her. She's a music director, y'all. She, she co-music directed this. She puts the whole thing together. She's picking out the sequins that are on the costumes. But as I keep interrupting myself to say a third time, there's being a force of nature yourself and there's being a visionary. And, and I think there's something so powerful about even the ability to gather large groups of talented people together that this is a woman. I mean, not that she should be threatened by anybody, but like there are really talented people who still could be threatened by other people. But she is like, everyone around me should be in absolutely incredible. And that's what I'm going to find. She also had all these big girls in the same costumes, the same leotards, dancers of all different sizes, the Nigerian girl who went to Howard. At first of all, I just was like, I'm going to cry because it was this beautiful melange of like African-Americanness and Africanness, Nigerianness together. Like her whole family are Nigerians that went to this HBCU, which we, you know, that's not a given thing. Like we don't always, you know, Nigerians are not always championing African-American culture. So she said that she, this girl, I think she was born in Nigeria too. And she was like, I thought I was going to be too thick. Like, I didn't think I was going to get this audition. Nope. She was right in the front, just representing beautiful thickness. I was dead. Oh, it just, I mean, it was this homage to 
culture to traditions. And it was activism in pure form. I mean, this stuff is not, this wasn't an accident. You know, HBCUs are struggling. Oh, Elizabeth Warren, by the way, that's part of her college package is putting how much money into it? It was a lot of money back into HBCUs. And I just think it's a beautiful thing to hear someone be like, we need these institutions. And if you don't understand what they're for, I'm happy to explain them to my school teacher voice. But they are part of making sure that everyone has access. And yes, in 2019, they are still a part of that. And you don't get to just be like, well, I guess there's not racism anymore. Why do we have HBCUs? Like, you know, 30, 40 years after the Civil Rights Act was signed, you don't you don't get to do that. But anyway... Beyonce and you know it was beautiful because she was like I didn't get to go to college but I look forward to homecoming every year I wanted to see the costumes like this is what I'm from Texas and this is what went on so I highly highly insist that you go watch this you at very least will just want to pick up some eight counts of choreography get your get a workout on now to the part that everyone was talking about her diet so when she gave birth to her beautiful, gorgeous twins, she was 218 pounds and she needed to get back into shape for her show. <sighs> she says she was eating a diet of no carbs, no bread, no sugar, no meat. That really leaves eggs and vegetables, guys. No dairy. Yeah, so she's a vegan anyway. So she really... She's eating vegetables. Oh, no eggs. She's a vegan. I'm crazy. She's eating vegetables and nuts. And I think some fruit because we saw her eating an apple, which we'll get to Applegate in a moment. There's so many different angles for this. Now, I saw people online being like, Beyonce's dietitians are so misinformed. You know, fat doesn't make you fat, blah, blah, blah. She didn't say she was eating a low-fat diet. First of all, I think people are kind of confused about recent research. You know, you can't, like, if you're in ketosis, doing the keto thing that's all the rage now, then yes, you're eating high fat. But uh, if you're trying to lose weight, and there's lots of different ways to lose weight, it's just whatever works for you, you you are going to have to restrict your calories in some form. You can't just eat as much fat as you want and not be in ketosis. Like, I can't eat just, like, uh, you know, burgers and pancakes and whatever and be like, well, I put peanut butter on my pancakes. So I'm a, I'm a slim down now. Like, no, that's not how it works. So I don't think she was not eating fat. In fact, I'm sure she probably ate some nuts and stuff or else she would keel over. I think she was just lowering her calories to an extreme amount to get through the show and then, or to get into her costume again. And then Roger, shout out to Roger was like, well, she's eating apples. That's not really low carb. I'm like, look, I think she probably ate the app. When people say low carbs, a lot of times they mean starches. And yeah, a lot of times that doesn't include fruit, but I think for her, she probably wasn't eating like a whole pound of grapes or something because that's sugar. But I believe that she she might have had an apple before the show to get through it. So like she could burn through some sugar, some fruit sugar. Here's the part where I have a problem. It's, it's like two ways for me. I kind of like that we see her at one point she was like, I'm hungry. I like that we see her struggle because I don't like when celebrities make it sound like they just wake up, they woke up like this, like, and it's just really natural for them to do whatever they can. I think if you really told people how much goes into what you do, it would kind of help create more reasonable beauty standards for society. You know, I can't think of how many celebrities we love, um, 
what's those sexy names? Uh, James, the really big dude who's in Magic Mike, who's married to Sofia Vergara. I don't know why I can't remember his name right now. He spends three hours a day or something in the gym. I remember um, Fergie saying like her abs were not her favorite feature because it just represented deprivation. And I think um, I think uh, Gwen Stefani said something like that too. So I've kind of always liked Beyonce because she's like real about it. She's like, look, I'm thick. My real body type is probably would rest somewhere around like a size 10 or 12. But I am a size two because I don't eat. And she's real about that struggle. However... My issue was just that it was just sad to see such a queen who is so enlightened in every other way in terms of like, I've already achieved all of the career success I could ever want. My gift now is to pass it on and pay it forward to young people, to talents that I see, to cultivate people, to give them a platform, to make sure all my, you know, performances are linked to an artistic cause. Like this is what I do with my time right now. And so it was beautiful to see that and to to watch that. But then it's such a harsh juxtaposition that she still thinks I have to be arbitrary amount thin to do my concert. Like it made me sad that it was about getting into her costume and not this is the weight where I've noticed that I'm at usually peak physical performance. This is the weight where my knees don't hurt for me to wear stilettos for two hours this is this. I mean, I that could be the case, but I didn't hear her say that. I heard her just talk about she all the stuff she was going to do was for the purpose of getting rid of being a certain size that I think she considers her concert size, which I don't even like that much because she starts to lose her booty after a point. I like the jiggle. Like I like I have to wear three pairs of tights, Beyonce. I'm just being selfish because that's how I see myself represented. However, I don't know. It it I wish that it could have been about physical fitness and this is how I sing without getting out of breath. And this is a level where I can do this. Or once I know that I can run on the treadmill, um, do this. She said, I'm going to do soul cycle. I would die if I, if we, oh, if, we, if Beyonce walked into soul cycle, Oh my God. But she said, I'm going to do soul cycle, do Stairmaster and then do rehearsal in one day. And rehearsal is a two hour, two hours of dancing and singing guys. It's insane. So she said, when I can, I'm going to do all that. So, it's, but the, but her measure of success was not when she could do all that. It was like, because I feel like, wouldn't your body just tell you you were back in shape because you'd be back in shape, right? So who designed this arbitrary uh, size for you? And why can't you just tell Balenciaga to make a bigger size because you had a baby or because you don't feel like only eating tomatoes? I That part was just like, dang, no matter how successful a woman gets, she will always like never be good enough and comparing herself to some other standards. So now you got really skinny once and now you're forever, your in shape size is going to be like that time you got really skinny for like two albums ago or whatever. It's just not. And so then she puts on her costume and she's like, I'm so excited. I can put it on. And then the whoever's filming, like someone in her production team was like, can you breathe in it? Are you going to wear it to person? Now she's like, no, I'm not. But let's FaceTime Jay-Z. She FaceTimed Jay-Z. He's sitting at a desk just dadded out, just looking so just middle-aged dad-like. And she's like, babe, I got into my costume. And he's like, just makes that cheesy face like, oh, yeah, yay. He's just like, yeah. And then she hung up and they're like, why are, why are husbands never excited about this kind of stuff? 
It was deep. Why are husbands never excited about this kind of stuff? The range of, I mean, there's so many different possibilities. It could be because you were in hangry rages at him for months and he like dieting to him represents like you dieting means that he's going to be miserable. That's what it's like if someone lives with me and I'm dieting. It could be because he liked your booty because he's a warm-blooded male or just a human being. Like, I like your booty. Everyone likes your booty. It could be he's like, oh, great. My wife dieted her butt away. That's awesome. Like, I don't like he did not care because he loves you either way. And these are the things that we take so deeply. We take it to heart and... So, you know, Beyonce is a queen, but she's an American woman queen and she's got American woman issues. And now a word from our sponsor, Miss Beyonce Knowles. Growing up, my parents always tried to instill in me a love for apples. Uh, I love apples. Uh, An apple a day keeps the bugaboo away. So I took it upon myself to purchase all of the apple orchards in America because I want to spread apples to the whole world. I have planted saplings everywhere I can because it's just amazing what these young saplings can do with their leaves. You know, they give Fuji apples. They give pink lady apples, single lady apples. Granny Smith apples, Bramble, Buggle apples, all types of apples, apple juice, apple butter. I use that because I'm vegan. I just think that when you have a dream to be an apple tree, that dream can one day fill up a whole orchard. And apples are really the souls of black folks. So... I just, I feel very strongly that that's what I need to do. Anyone who knows me knows how I feel about apples. Okay, time to dive right into some politics. Has everyone watched the CNN town halls that were held? They were uh, in Boston, sponsored by Harvard I think it was a school of public policy, but I know it was undergrad and also University of Connecticut. I'm literally, I think, making these universities up. It doesn't really matter. Okay, the point is that the theme of the evening was to have the presidential candidates, all 511 of them, talk to the youngest, their youngest constituents, um, you know, which people are, that's people starting at age 18. And so undergraduate college students. Um, It was a very interesting evening and I am heated. Where, let me start from the bleh that I didn't feel strongly about one way or another. Amy Klobuchar, no, you don't, you don't have it, sis. It's not happening for you this year. She's not a good public speaker. She sounded very nervous and tentative about everything she said. And she doesn't even know how to tell a good story, man. I mean, she took that moment where she came for Pete, not Pete, I'm see I'm jumping ahead of myself. She came for Brett Kavanaugh during his hearings and she like rehashed the whole story 
in just the worst storytelling way, she said, and so then he said this, and then I said this, and then he said, and so then I said, and it sounded a certain way, but it wasn't. It was just me saying this, and you don't have to be harsh to get your point across. I was like, go sit down somewhere. Go sit down somewhere. Like, I, it, was, it was not moving. It was not compelling. I had to turn that off. It was boring. Um, I had no intention of watching Bernie Sanders. I know lots about what he believes in. He believes in things that seem to me to be very attractive to people who like to talk about social justice and economic equality without talking about racism, which is impossible because our country was literally created to disenfranchise certain parts of the country based on race. And it's really annoying when everyone tries to lump everything together just because they're uncomfortable talking about that part or the idea that there are people that have more strikes against them than you, than you do is like upsetting somehow. <sighs> okay. So I didn't watch his, never planned on watching it, didn't record it, didn't watch Kamala Harris. I just, I don't need to at this point. I feel like I have heard enough from her at this point, and I wanted to hear from people who I haven't heard as much from to kind of just catch up my knowledge about like where we are on these different issues. Honey, last night, I can't remember... I can't decide if I should start with the good or the bad. I'm trying to decide. Let me just launch with the bad because it's on my tongue. Pete Buttigieg. Every time, every time Anderson Cooper said it, he has had Pete, um, he would say um before he said Pete. Like his brain had already jumped ahead to pronouncing Buttigieg correctly. Buttigieg correctly. And he was so nervous about it. But also, he don't like him. It was like battle of the gays. I was dead. Anderson Cooper said, look, we're not going to sit here and let you smile your little Muppet smile and your slicked back side part hair and just get away being the friendly neighborhood mask presenting gay. We're not doing that. You have to come correct. Like the kids questions didn't push him enough. And then Anderson Cooper was like, but actually, but actually. So I just have to say this. I was so completely unimpressed. I was so unimpressed. I've already been irritated by the whole, as some people have termed it, just ignoring female candidates and building these character portraits of male candidates. So you think the male candidates are more interesting because they're the only ones you ask anything about themselves. Did you know that Stacey Abrams writes like, I want to say erotic. I feel like that would be more fun, but maybe it's not erotic. But she writes like fan fiction. And someone that I listened to was like, guess what? Women have hobbies and pets. I know it doesn't seem real, but they really do. And that's kind of the way I feel. If we spend all this time covering the fact that Pete Buttigieg, I'm, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I just... Pete Buttigieg. If we if we spend all this time talking about how he speaks other languages and stuff like that, but don't ask anyone else interesting about themselves. And yes, it seems like he's this dynamic person that, well, I don't even want to say needs to win because why would you win over that? However, I thought his performance was so underwhelming, so bland, and he's just like a Harvard bro. And by that, I mean, as someone who went to an Ivy League school, I think he's another like 
I don't know how smart he is. Because honestly, based on what the things he presented, I I know he can put sentences together, but the substance was not there. He just seemed to me to be a privileged, well-spoken dude. And I felt no fire. I felt no spark. I did not feel, I just felt middle of the road, mm, bland, trying to appeal to everyone as much as they can. But I happen to be gay, but I'm going to make that seem like it's Oklahoman and he's not from Oklahoma. He's from Indiana. I'm going to make it seem like folksy and approachable as well. And I'm going to, you know, I go to church and we're just like you, except we just have anal sex and missionary position. Like I, I don't know. He rubbed me the wrong way. So a couple things happened. A, he has no public policy. He has no policies at all. And Anderson Cooper was literally like, so, you know, other people have come up here and like outlined policies. Do you have it? Like, what are you going to do as president? You going to do anything? What are you going to do? And he gave an answer that was nothing. And I know it was nothing. And it reminds me of people that I went to school with, including myself, because we know how to say a lot of words that don't mean nothing when we need to, because you need to do that to get by writing papers and shit. Like he was sat there and was like, so we don't believe in leading with public policy that just kind of confuses people. And we think that the, the democratic party has a problem with going with policy first. And we want to talk about our values. We want to lead with our values. We feel like instead of just telling people numbers and stats and things that are going to happen, we, we want to lead with our values first. Um, what? Anderson Cooper was like, um, right. But so on your website, you like, you, you don't really have anything. So it's kind of hard. It's not, it's not, what are you doing? It's not there. Like, what you, is there like, and then Pete was like, well, um, when I formally, you know, announced that I was running two weeks ago, uh, yeah, that's when I announced. So we're going to have some things up to the website tonight and I'm excited for it. Why did you have to be asked two times to, to agree to concede, humbly concede the fact that you should probably have some actual tangible plans and public policy before you're running for president? He sat in his face and told all of us that he knows he is running on his personality and just being like a wholesome looking round faced white dude. Like I really resented that. It doesn't mean anything. I'm really distrusting of the fact that he got up there and said just empty words like that. Like you, what is your, what are your values? If not supported by some type of policy, policy is the way that you, policy is the way that you exercise your values. You're not a mascot. You're not just in office to just be, you know, you're not Sparky the dragon. Like what, I was so confused. I was so confused and unimpressed. And I was disappointed to be so unimpressed because I had liked some things that I'd heard him say, you know, to, about what's not Christian, you know, how I'm, you know, even though I'm gay, I'm more Christian than all the rest of you. And I think that that is a powerful statement. I think that obviously so many Christians need to be put on notice that like to take the beam out of their eye and that there's just absolutely no rhyme or reason. Like if we were to, if, if we were to concede that homosexuality is a sin, which it is not that 
that would be like the main thing that people can't go to church over. Like, I don't think God cares about sex more than anything else in the world. I actually don't think that. I think he cares more about you acting like a bitch ass to people and being mean, calling them out their name. Oops, sorry, bitch ass. But like, I just don't believe that. And like, obviously there's so many other sins that people do that, you know, none of us are disbarred from going to church because we're sinners. So he kind of dragged someone, I don't remember who it was, and it's important, but it's also just kind of like, this is all a circus for liberals, for us to be in a feedback loop, because I don't, I think real Christians know that like Donald Trump isn't acting Christian when he calls everybody out of his names and tries to kick refugees out. I mean, you know, Jesus, Joseph and Mary were refugees, like OG refugees, fleeing another country, fleeing into another country and hiding in a barn. Okay. So Trump would have built a wall around them. I'm just saying. Now, I don't know. I just really, I was just so underwhelmed though by him really sitting up there and saying, no, I didn't have to do anything yet. You just have to trust me. And so then he talked a lot about his military service. Um, He talked a lot about that he's a mayor and, you know, interesting anecdotes, kind of, you know, yes, being a mayor, he has more government experience than Trump. He does. So no one, I feel like, can really say that you don't have experience card. I mean, he's, he's not going to have experience against other candidates, but he has more experience than Trump. But everyone has more experience than Trump. Like, my thumb has more experience than Trump. You know, my acne has more experience than Trump. It's just, it is what it is. It was so, it was just so distasteful. And then someone asked him if he thought that um, felons should be able to vote while they're in jail. And this also went viral. He said no. And the audience started clapping. And then there was the black girl that asked the question, like had her hand over her mouth. She's a black, a dark face in a sea of white. She had her hand over her mouth in shock, like looking at people clapping. And it's true. I did not even think this is something people would have like, felt that strongly about or been like as riled up about as to clap. But then this fool had the nerve to say that he, you know, with the civil, with the um, criminal justice system and recidivism and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, marijuana crimes being charged, you know, so many black people being in jail for marijuana and things that were not violent crimes that restricting their right to vote can become problematic. And he called it, he, he listed, he said that, you know, felons should have the right to vote after they got out of jail, which I, I don't think either. I don't think, I mean, I think that that clip was taken a little, I do think people went away from that thinking he was saying that they should never be able to vote again, which is not what he said. He did say felons should be able to vote after they get out of jail. Um, and we have to make sure that they do because otherwise, you know, this keep having that be in the law is specifically created to disenfranchise a certain political party. That's what he was saying. And then he said, and there are some racial layers to it. Like race in the criminal justice system is, is like nutritional yeast on popcorn. It's not layers. Like, why don't you just say the thing, do the damn thing and say what you mean and mean what you say. Like you don't mean anything. You don't want to really stand for anyone. He doesn't want reparations. He wants an, an exploratory committee for reparations and he doesn't know like how we would pay for that. You don't have to know. You have to care enough to actually do something. But if you don't believe in your heart that we should have it, it's probably because of the racial layers of this, 
you know, tiramisu baklava that you are talking about. I don't know what freaking layers you're talking about. He also doesn't think that we should fully pay for college. Like he doesn't agree with Elizabeth Warren's plan. What do you believe? There's all these things you don't believe, but you won't write down what you do believe. And Anderson Cooper was just giving you the side eye of life. He was like, look, ho, I've been gay since been gay since been gay, okay? I've been here. I opened the door for you. He was just looking at this like new new little gay so so skeptically. I was gagging that he held his feet to the fire like that. He just straight up was like, because it really, I wasn't even aware that Anderson was supposed to ask questions of his own. He, I thought it was supposed to be the students and he for real took it about himself to be like, what are you about? Like, what are you actually about? And nobody knows. I still don't know. Okay, so that's Pete Budahead. Now moving on to Elizabeth Warren, our next president. Oh my gosh. This woman is giving you grandma realness. She was stern and said, don't mess with, like she would say something and then they'd start to have a reaction. She said, no, no, don't do that. But this is how it's going to be. And then this, and I was like, you are a school teacher. You still are a school teacher. And I live for it. School us. Teach America. Give us our what's what and our who's who. Give us our vitamins. We need you. She is like, takes no shit, but is kind and warm at the same time. This is just, you know, this is the Pete Buttigieg, like if she were to have absolutely no policy at all, but just have values and a personality, then she would still win for this, what I'm describing right here. However, her, she has it all laid out for us. Elizabeth Warren has made a lesson plan. All you have to do is get to homeroom on time and follow it. Are you listening to me? Attention, attention class, attention, attention, please. All you have to do is get to homeroom and follow it. She, I was so impressed. I mean, her, first of all, her life story, she, she grew up poor. Have we even had a president that grew up poor? I don't even think we have. Um, I don't think we have. I'm trying to think about it. She grew up poor. College, she didn't really think was in her future. And then she got a scholarship. Then she got pregnant. Well, got married first. Got pregnant. Dropped out of school and was working, I believe, answering phones. Then she found a way to pay $50 a semester for community college. And she finished. And she said her dream had always been to be a teacher. She wanted to be a teacher. That was her dream. And she did it. She said she achieved her dream. And when I, when I hear the way this woman talks about community college and champions people that don't have all the privileges that I had or all of our other presidents have, we don't, we don't have like th- that diversity of backgrounds. Even Obama, you know, he's obviously diverse. He's our first black president. However, he still had a higher educational pedigree than like half of almost all of them. And so, but, but Elizabeth Warren comes from a totally different side of these kinds of arguments. And she is saying, this is what we need to do from, for education in this country. This is how we lift everybody up. I know it because I use community college that I could afford. And if things were the way they are now, then I, I wouldn't be able to pay for anything. We have to create all the avenues for people to be able to have 
economic mobility and we have to fund them if we really care. She She's just asking everyone to step up. Like, do you actually want things to be different than they are or not? Boom. Okay, so there's that. Then someone tries to be like, you were a Republican before. What happened? She's like, look, bitch, this is what happened. My family wasn't political. I don't even know what they voted. I randomly picked one. But when I actually started to care, I noticed that Republicans and she said like 30% of Democrats follow anyone with money. And that's not the side that I wanted to be on. I wanted to be on the side that cared about the people and were helping people. And I was like, okay, boop, tried it. She gave you girls that one. That was very clear. Um, she is a friend to the blacks, okay? She cares. She cares about things being the way they are supposed to be. Someone asked her a question about how to protect the police. Do you know that she basically did not answer it? Like, she was like, look, what you're not going to do is sit here and act like there's a bigger problem with police who have elected to go into a field that is dangerous, which, by the way, no one's ever like, what are we going to do about, like, firemen getting hurt? And by that, I, I don't mean that people should be targeting hurting anyone. I just mean that, like, it's a dangerous job, and I don't even think that the research shows that there's a higher risk to being a cop than there used to be, except for just the fact of a proliferations of guns in the United States. So she really didn't answer the question. Like, she just was like, so the real problem with, with everything that's going on is, again, social justice and racism, and this is how people are incarcerated. These are the rates they're incarcerated at. She was like, if you don't know... Let me tell you this. Black people are incarcerated, you know, five times a higher rate for the same crime. We use marijuana, you know, equally across, slightly equally. I think it's white people slightly more, slightly, you know, equally. And black people are incarcerated more. So yada, 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 like stripped it down to the lowest common denominator and then was like, and we can protect police by having stricter gun control. Boop. I bet you didn't think that she was going to take away something else that your conservative ass liked to help you get the solution that you wanted. I bet you weren't expecting that. Nope, you weren't. So she just was giving you truth, tea, facts, historical justice, research. I, at one point she was like, you know, what did she say? I realized it's hard for people to hear straight when their ears are stuffed with money. And I was like, shade, 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 shade. It was just so refreshing. And she has a plan for everything. She's She has a plan already. She's done the math of how to pay for universal education. I'm calling it universal education. I don't think that's the title of the plan, but she's going to do a wealth tax. So everyone that has over $50 million, when you get to like your 51 million, your 50 million and $1, then you're going to be taxed like two cents on every dollar. She has done all this work. And again, all Lee, all Mr. Bootyhead said was, I don't know that I know her math works. But, I mean, it's something that I would, like, look into. Huh? I'm telling y'all, it takes me back to school. It just takes me back to school just to be smug. I've done all the work. And then you're just like, mm, I don't think so. You either steal it or say that you don't agree with it until at which point you can, like, later take it as your own. Like, I feel like that's what's going to happen. He's going to, like, steal all her platforms and then and then run. I just, I was so deeply uncomfortable with him. It was very smarmy. Smarmy is the word I would use. Now, again... I would obviously vote for him if it comes down to that, obviously. But I hope we can stop picking shiny, 
people that we propped up for very obvious reasons and ignoring like solid good choices that have been in front of our faces toiling away tirelessly for years and are actually quite revolutionary and inspiring if you listen to the things that they have to say. So I'm all here for Elizabeth Warren and I want to give a second runner up to someone who did not have a town hall, but I will keep talking about her. Marianne Williamson. Look, someone put this Igbo child, like a black African man stood up and was like, so lots of people are talking about reparations in the country and obviously like we have to find the money. He said something, I can't remember what he said, but you know, when you put the negative part of a question into the question, it was something like, you know, the biggest question is where will the money come from or how do we get the money? And I was like, uh, actually I didn't, con- I never conceded that America doesn't have money to do any fucking thing that it wants to do. Cause we're rich. Like we definitely do other shit, like give money to France for churches. So no one said that. But they put that in there, which I thought was crazy. But she caught it. Mary Williamson was like, well, actually, no, we have the money. And she, she, I don't remember her details about that, but she said, we have to have a spiritual reckoning as if we're a person. Like, we are, our countries have a soul. And if we do not reckon with our past, then we cannot move forward into the future. And I think truer words were never spoken. How can we be unified if half of the country, my half, is just like rolling their eyes about standard stuff that we experience, the truths that we know, the historical facts that we know, and just like, okay, yeah, yeah, oh, you're gonna do this really predictable thing that's discriminatory, discriminatory to me now? Okay, and then we have to like tell, you know, our closest, you know, maybe our closest white friends and they sound surprised or we have to tell like the nice friendly neighbor who doesn't think they're racist and they're like really not sure or they're just sure that that one thing is just a coincidence that happened to us and not like it's exhausting. We're not going to get anywhere like this. So Marianne Williamson said, look, cut your bullshit. I never said that money was going to fix everything, but it's certainly a fine place to start. And there's no reason that Japanese people should get money for internment and that Germany can put how many billions of dollars into Jewish foundations and programs. And we can't do like, there's just no actual reason. You don't have a reason for the thing that you're saying. None of you have a reason for the thing that you're saying. We don't know who's related to who. People are mixed now. Da, 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 da. I, you know, I saw some snarky person online being like, my, my test came out 123rd African, so will I get reparations? Maybe you'll get 123rd, you dumb bitch. I mean, do you really want it or do you not want it? Like, do you not want a 123rd of reparations? <laughs> like, shut the fuck up and sit down then. Like, you don't, you don't have to have it, but maybe you can have it. Like, I don't understand why people are just decided because something is not clear clear cut and already figured out like some, so something you never intended on doing and never made an effort to do isn't already figured out and planned out. So that's a reason to not do it. That smells like what bullshit smells like to me. I just think that that's what that is. I don't, I don't think it's a sincere way of being. So toodles to that. Marion Williamson, I, I still think it would be really cool if we had a spiritual leader, bookseller, Like as our, what, I mean, she could still surround herself by all kinds of advisors, but could you imagine if just some soothing, calming ass person got on the phone with like Kim Jong-un and was like, hi, so how's the soul of your country today? Hmm? Now, when you 
When you built those missiles, what did you feel like you were accomplishing? Did you need a snack? I think it would be great. That's all. Okay, guys, it's spring. I mean, I don't know if we really... Is it spring like on the Wiccan calendar or whatever? I'm not 100%. But I do know that my window is open, so you're going to hear some birds chirping. And it's sunny. And we need that. We need the changing of the seasons. We need renewal, rebirth, all the things that this time of year represents. I'm reminded of how much I loved this time of year when I was little, and it just meant playing outside. And I always loved the smell of cut grass. And it's just almost as if the outdoors is more like buzzy and hummy. It kind of is. Like you just feel this. Um, this energy and this vibrancy and it means playtime and fun and riding on your bike to Dairy Queen and none of these things are happening in New York. I'm just reminiscing. So stay with me. Um, I did go to church this Sunday, went to Abyssinian and I would say that that is probably going to black churches in Harlem is one of the only true instances of reverse racism. Stay with me. <laughs> so basically, I am surrounded by at least nine churches. Like, I live next door to a church, to Convent Baptist Church. Um, there's so many options. And do I go? Usually not to any of them, even though I could literally do a tour of Episcopalian, Baptist, Catholic, all around my neighborhood. I don't go. It is what it is. But I go sometimes, you know, on the holidays, and actually, there was some really interesting shade. Let me just slip this in. And the, and the sermon in Abyssinian was life-giving. It was excellent. Oh, we all needed to hear it. It was so rejuvenating and invigorating. But there was one part that was really funny because it seemed like it would be shade against us sinners. And then it was kind of inverse. It was subversive shade against churchgoers. You know I'm here for that. Um, but the preacher was like, now, this, this isn't just for the people that come here once a year. And we were like, oh, shoot, are we about to get like, we're about to get barred to the back of the church. But he was like, this message is for people who come every Sunday, because sometimes you're so close to things that you can't see it clearly. And he was using the example of Mary Magdalene in Jesus's tomb. And she turns around to him and not recognizing him saying, I'm looking for this man who was laid to rest here. Do you know where he is? Where have you taken him? And she couldn't recognize him. And so he was extrapolating off that. And I, that is the part that I do like about really good preachers. We take, when they take these stories in the Bible and they turn it into something that is, that we really connect to. I mean, they, they take some of the stuff, they kick it up a notch. They kick it to another level. And I'm like, okay, I see how you did that. This story seemed like it was a standard mythological trope that happens in everything from, you know, Egyptian mythology to Zoroastrianism to, you know, someone's reborn again. Like that's very common, which used to freak me out a lot when I was little. And because I was raised to think that Catholicism was the only religion. I mean, you just think that it's not like my parents really said that, but you know, you're, you, you go to Sunday school, you get, uh, your first communion, you get confirmed and you're taught that. So the first time I thought that people, I was like, wait a minute, the only reason I have this religion is because my parents told me to do it. That's what we do here. And there's some girl 
in, you know, whatever part of the world and the opposite hemisphere from me who is doing whatever religion her parents took her to church to do that's not this, it doesn't really make sense that one could be right and one wouldn't. Why would people arbitrarily be missing out on the good word of God? So that was the first time I was like, whoa. And then later when I would read, back in the day, it was just websites. There were no memes, just like these bad looking wiki fonts type deals saying like, here's all the different cultures around the world that have stories of a virgin birth and a resurrection. And I was like, oh, how could all these different people have come up with the same thing? Like that doesn't, that makes, you know, Catholicism not unique and special. So anyway, I really did like how the preacher did that. But his point was that he was saying that the people that go to church every Sunday, sometimes you're so wrapped up in thinking that you are spiritual and you are doing the right thing that you do have kind of blinders on and you might not notice different things happening within yourself that you need to do or around you. So I kind of love that he gave it to the heathens. He said, look, you only come when the spirit moves you. Now that's true listening to, that is listening to the spirit and listening to yourself. You come once a year when you're compelled that you are in touch, you are into. And I was like, I, I feel seen. I feel so seen. But okay, the reverse racism. So Harlem is now a top tourist destination. It's not dangerous. It's not like it was. I mean, people say crazy things to me, people that are from here about the 80s and stuff. And it were even the early 90s. And it's not that way. It is. People are jogging in sports bras and walking little fluffy dogs. And um, on Sunday, there's a big crush of people that flock to these churches and they're also tourist groups and they're from Europe. And I walk down the street with my groceries and, you know, am I sometimes wearing like an African print muumu or a onesie, an adult onesie? Sometimes, sometimes I'm not. And they still stare at me like I'm just part of the, you know, like, oh, look, there goes a wild kalachi in her, in her native environment. And I'm like, I stare back because I'm just like, I want you to feel as out of place as I do right now. So, but on Sunday, this is when the Harlem community claps back on Easter Sunday. So all these tourist groups, they try to go into churches, but even though they know that they're going to come from Bratislava and go into black churches in Harlem, they don't bring church clothes. They they don't. So there's a bunch of people in backpacks that look like they just rolled off of like a, a, a freight car, like, you know, the boxcar children. And they line up and they want to go into church. And it's just this extreme juxtaposition with African-Americans who have put on their finest Easter gear, their hats, because this is our cultural church tradition. You know, back when we were brought to this country, Sunday was a lot of the only day of rest, if you were allowed that, on the plantation. And yes, I'm taking it back there. And our place to practice our cultural traditions, all these things that were we brought here from Africa that got woven and, and sucked up into the Christianity that we learned here, exchanging with each other, communing with each other, that was all on Sunday. So it's a special day, and we dress up for it. Now, Catholics don't always dress up for it. And so even as someone who was grew up Catholic, I mean, I went to a black Catholic church, so we did kind of dress up. However, 
you could still wear jeans and stuff. And I remember like my mom being like aghast at that and she would kind of rib at my dad about it. Like, oh, y'all people, you could just come as you are. That's what the Catholic Church says. But I mean, we don't we don't like mean it. Don't come in jeans. Just don't. Um, so I don't really think we mean it. So, but even me as someone who, who, you know, knows you can get away with a little more at church, I would never, like, I would just never, like, you have to like look presentable. So it's this giant juxtaposition of black people and their Easter finest. And we go all out. We don't like Easter is serious business. Okay. It looked like Westminster Abbey. I'm telling you, I was sitting in church at Abyssinian with my friend Roger, who was a guest on the podcast in the early aughts, and he was like, ooh, I love her fascinator, like, dead. Um, anyway, so, we have the tourists that already look kind of like they don't exactly respect where they're stepping into, and I'm saying that not from a religious standpoint, from a just, like, when in Rome, you know, haha, <laughs> get it, because they're visiting from Europe, but we're not, yeah, when in Rome. But then also it's the uncomfortable, it's the voyeurism part. It's the fact that they are kind of coming to watch black people jump around and be excitable about the Lord. And it's kind of awkward to observe a religious practice. Um, I think it's a little bit different. You know, you go to the Vatican and people, you know, you're looking at the art, you're looking at the relics. It's very clear that this is a historical monument and the churches, a lot of these churches have historical relevance too, but they have a different kind of relevance, like Abyssinian being a stronghold of the civil rights movement. So when you have people coming in just to watch and to kind of gawk and to not really take part, it's awkward. Um, and that awkwardness is felt by the community, just like how I don't like being looked at like I'm like a, a spectacle when I'm just going to the corner store and stuff. It's felt. So today, as I sorry, Sunday on Easter, as I walked by the church, I saw people straight up getting turned away and ushers were not having it. They were like, we don't see people on Easter. Like there was an entire uh, tour group of about 50 people blocking the sidewalk. And I guess God help their, you know, tour guide who was just like, we just gonna go to this church. But they didn't know you had to make a reservation at church, but it's Easter. And that's the kind of thing where the ushers probably even annoyed that you didn't figure you didn't calculate that into your, your calculations. Like it is Easter. So you would have to get there really early. And so then we get down to Abyssinian. We don't, we're not going to convent next to my house. We're going to go there next week. But then we went to Abyssinian. We hear, we see other people getting cursed out without curse words by ushers. Like they look like they were from Korea. And she was like, we, most churches have service at 11. Ours is 1130. No, you can't we're not letting anyone in. And Roger was intimidated. He didn't know how it works. And I was like, don't worry, baby. This is the only reverse racism in our favor that there is. You just walk up and walk inside. That's all you have to do to get seated on the main floor is be a black person dressed as if they're there to go to church. Now, if I had like, you know, I'm sure if I had ripped up clothes and looked like I just rolled out of a hostel and a backpack, they might also put me in the balcony or if I'm, you know, or if you're late, you go to the balcony, but they straight up turn the tourists away. They don't even attempt to sit them on the main floor during that time. And it's just interesting because I'm so far from a member. Like, I don't even think I brought money for offering because I just you don't usually have cash. If they had a Venmo, I'd be all there. But yeah, so it's kind of interesting that 
I have the privilege to walk in and just sit down while not being a member. But you have to know if you've ever listened to this show that I'm totally tongue in cheek by calling it reverse racism. Obviously, there's no such thing. And this is their way. Let's call it uh, profiling. Let's call it spiritual profiling. Spiritual context clues. They're spiritually profiling who is there to worship and who is there to be a tourist. And I'm not saying that the two don't overlap. I'm just saying there's some problematic optics. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I can't think of, I'm trying to think of other countries where you go watch people worship as opposed to kind of like being around religious centers or like visiting a mosque because of the famous architecture. But you're not just around people's personal you know, services, talking to their congregation about their illnesses. And, and I know church is open to everyone, obviously, but that's not, that's, it's just not quite the same thing. I hope you get what I'm trying to describe here. If you don't, you'd have to move to my neighborhood and just get jostled around at the sidewalk, I guess. I don't really want to talk about the Mueller report. I want to let other people talk about it to you. All I can say is I'm just underwhelmed at this point. I'm underwhelmed by all these things that are telling people that care about this stuff, what they already knew. And for everything else, it just kind of like dissipates into the wind for any other category of person. Um, we already know that it's weird if everyone around you goes to jail and you don't like, we already know that's fishy. Uh, you know, my, my six year old cousin could tell you that that seemed a little bit off base. So I, I guess I probably will read it at some point, but I haven't felt per- particularly compelled because for whatever reason, we've arrived at the decision that there's not enough information in there to impeach, which by the way, Elizabeth Warren thinks there is. But however, we've decided that we're not going to for optics because we're so freaking shook. You know, I think we really should admit that we are scared of the right. Like, because Democrats don't usually, most of the time, collect bombs and snipe people. And usually that's that's the right, usually. So honestly, it prob- there probably is something to the idea that it would cause too much division to impeach Donald Trump. And by division like a war, like another civil war or something by gun collecting militia people and the crazies who like him. That's probably not an unreasonable fear, to be honest. However, it, it I mean, there's enough in there. Like he knew he did something wrong. And as Elizabeth Warren said, we have a president who, you know, sat there while a hostile foreign government sent you know, stolen information on us. And he said, Ooh, goody, what's next? Like it was a pop tart coming out the toaster. (laughs) Lego, Lego, my ego. Like it's not right. And I'm just, I'm just annoyed that we're tying ourselves up in knots about what is, you know, directly impeachable versus what is like extremely, extremely shady and inappropriate. It's kind of weird that for the highest office in the land, the standards of what can get you fired are so high. Like you should have more of a responsibility to have a pristine reputation. And instead it's set up so that you, you have like lots of leeway to be like a hugely disloyal, inappropriate, strange law bending, twisting, 
making boondoggle bracelets out of the law, but not quite breaking the law in half type person. It's annoying. And I don't really have anything more uplifting about it to say than that. I wish I did, but you know what? You know, I tell you guys to go turn on some NPR if you want the, the direct facts about certain things like that. I just, it was just all very discouraging. Like I said, but you know, preaching to the choir. All right, all right, all right. That's our show. Thank you so much for listening. This has been another episode of Cake and Kombucha. Please find us online and give us the tea. Let us know what you're thinking, your reactions, questions, comments, anything, really. Please don't forget to subscribe on Apple. It's really important that you do so. This is how we can track you and find out what you're liking. Please rate and review. Go the extra step and rate and review. That's what we need. You can also find me on Spotify, SoundCloud, um, Google Play, uh, Stitcher. All right, that's it for now. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next week. Cake and Kombucha is a production by Kelechi Aza. It is produced live in New York City. It features music by Kelechi Aza joking around and the lovely tune you're hearing now, Melanie J.B. Charles. For more information on Melanie, look her up at melaniejbcharles.com or find her on Spotify. Get it, get